Our text this morning comes to us from Luke chapter 10, and we're going to read verses 38 to 42. Listen now for a word from God. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, they came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to them. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it won't be taken away from her. This is God's word to us. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Good and loving God, thank you for pop-up pageants. God, thank you for all of the characters uh, that make this Christmas story possible. And God, thank you too for this time that's set aside to be playful, to exercise our imagination, God, and to get caught up in the wonder of the Christmas season. Lord, I pray whatever words we would hear this morning would come from you and not from me. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so I have to make a confession. I, I actually dated other people before I dated Pastor Sarah. I know, I know. I wish I hadn't. I wish I hadn't. Um, in fact, I'll, I'll go one step further. I, I was actually engaged to be married to someone before Pastor Sarah. And I, <laughs> does Sean still have those cue cards? Was that cute? <laughs> Where'd he go? I, I know, I know. Um, again, something I regret, and I, my apologies. Um, so I, I, I was engaged. This was uh, my senior year of college. And um, I, I was, um, I think I was in love at the time, and I, we had a great relationship. Um, we started making preparations for the wedding, and we were going to have this wonderful wedding in the suburbs of Chicago, and, um, you know, my, my in-laws were fronting a lot of money to make this happen. And if, if you've paid for a wedding or you've gone through a wedding recently, you, you know what the cost of a wedding can be. And um, th there was a lot of pressure around this, but it, it was okay, you know, we're, we're going to make this happen. Well, at the, at the same time, we're getting ready for this wedding, and, and all of these preparations are being made. I was actually applying to study overseas at this, this place that I could only dream of studying, and it, it was kind of a long shot, to be honest. I didn't know if I would get in. I didn't think I'd, you know, make it to the program, and so um, I, I had really kind of written it off, but of course, right in the middle of the preparations, right after deposits had been made on venues and, and uh, catering options, you know, there was uh, a letter that came in the mail saying I'd gotten the opportunity I'd applied for. <laughs> and I, I'll never forget, I, I was opening the letter and uh, we're gonna call my uh, former fiance uh, Jane for the purposes of this story. Jane was uh, sitting next to me and uh, I opened the letter and I get the news and I'm almost shocked and shaking and I'm so excited and smiling and I look over to her to celebrate <laughs> and, and she's just like 
and um, very clearly not happy <laughs> with what had happened. And this made things a, just a little bit awkward. And um, she pretended to celebrate. You know, we went out to dinner, and she's acting like everything's fine. And all of my friends are celebrating. They're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this happened. Wow, Garrett, this is amazing. You're going to have such a great time. And uh, my family was saying the same thing. But a, a few weeks after, uh, Jane came to me. And she sat me down. She said, look, I'm, I'm really excited that you got this. I'm really excited that all of this is happening, but I just want you to know that if you take that opportunity, I don't think we're going to get married. And the I don't think we're going to get married meant we're definitely not getting married <laughs> if you take that opportunity. And that, that put me in a, in a really, really difficult position, obviously, because I have a lot of family pressure. I have a lot of personal pressure. You know, I, I wanted to sort of chase after this and um, didn't really know what to do. And so her, her father actually came to me, and uh, he asked me to breakfast. He sat me down, and he said, um, I, what I thought he was going to say was, do you know how much this is costing me? <laughs> and I thought he was going to maybe yell at me and, you know, try to, um, try to figure out a way to get me to stay or, or just m make it all work. It was, it was actually the exact opposite. He sat me down. He said, you know, Garrett, um, I know how important Jane is to you. And I know how important this opportunity is. And I just want you to know, you're young. And you're going to have a lot of other options. <laughs> which, <laughs> which felt like maybe he doesn't want me to marry his daughter, you know. Um, but I think he was being honest. I think he was being real. He, and, he, and what he said to me at the end, I'll never forget, he said, you know, y you're going to have to say yes to things that mean no to other things, and that's okay. And sometimes those yeses, Garrett, they're going to be really, really hard. But if you say no to something that you secretly kind of want or you do it to make someone else happy, he said you're never going to forget that, and you're going to regret it, and you might become bitter, and you might resent, and who knows where that path takes you. And so he said, you have to do what you got to do, and you got to follow your heart. And, and then he said, and I'm telling you, I don't think I'd say no to this. And, you know, a spoiler alert, I said, I said yes to the opportunity. Um, the, the marriage was broken off almost immediately after me saying that, and now I'm, now I'm happily married, <laughs> and, and things, things are okay. Oh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> this is great. You, this is a good crowd, good crowd. I think we've all been in situations like that. That's kind of an extreme example. It's a little bit weird from my own life, but, you know, we've all been in situations, right, where we've had to say yes to something that meant a no to something else, and sometimes those yeses are a little bit bigger than others, but we've all had to make choices, haven't we? We've all kind of had to navigate like, oh... I'm going to have to give something up if I want this, or if I want this, I'm going to have to let go of these. And we get caught in these dilemmas. We get caught with these choices. And it can be dis difficult to discern which path we need to take and which one we should take.
So in our story for today, um, it actually, let's back up a little bit. Before the story we read today, um, Luke, the writer of this gospel, is he, he wants us to kind of know a few things. And one of the things he wants us to know is that there's this question going around when Jesus is teaching and preaching of uh, how do I inherit eternal life? How do I go to heaven? How do I save my soul, if you want, however you want to term it? Um, there's this question that's lingering in the hearts and minds of the people that Jesus is teaching to. And it's evident, actually, in the story of the rich young ruler. You remember that story where Jesus uh, is approached by a rich young ruler, and and the rich young ruler says, Teacher, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, Well, you got to keep the commandments. You got to do this and this. He says, Well, I've done all of that. And Jesus says, Well, you know, if that hasn't worked for you, try selling everything that you have and come follow me. And we remember that story because it's sort of famously the rich young ruler goes away very sad because he had a great many possessions. Well, the, the story right before the one we read this morning is um, the story of the Good Samaritan, and it has a similar formula. It begins with someone approaching Jesus and saying, Teacher, teacher, what can I do to inherit eternal life? What can I do to go to heaven? And Jesus says to this person, well, you have to keep the commandments. You've got to do the things you know you need to do. You've got to act right, behave right, keep the law, all these things, and then you'll, you'll make it. You'll be okay. And the person presses, again, in much the same way that the rich young ruler did. And says, that, that, that hasn't really worked, you know. And so he asks a follow-up question and says, well, then, you know, who is my neighbor? Because one of the commandments was, you got to love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, then, teacher, who's my neighbor? Now, Luke puts this question right before that whole story, and then right after the story of the Good Samaritan, which I think many of us have heard, he, he runs right into the story that we read this morning. And Luke does this because he wants you, the listener, us, the readers, to be thinking about this question as we read these four verses. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And also, who's my neighbor? So in the story, Jesus and the disciples, they're, they're coming from wherever they were teaching and, and wherever they had run into, um, you know, Jesus sort of sharing the story about the Good Samaritan. And as they're going along, they come through this village and in the village, there are these two women, Martha and Mary, and they invite Jesus and his disciples into their house. And this is a very normal thing to do at that time for Jesus and um, his disciples to be invited in. And it, it, there was this whole code for how you had to, had to treat people. Um, you know, hospitality was a huge, huge thing. And so I, I believe it was even like in their law, there were certain things you had to do to receive people, to welcome them, to host them. Um, and it was pretty strict. And so they invite Jesus and his disciples to come and have dinner, and uh, they are going to host, and they're going to welcome him. So they show up to the house, and Jesus immediately sits down at the table, and he starts doing his thing. You know, he's teaching, he's preaching, and he's kind of holding court, right? He's answering questions maybe. And meanwhile, you know, as, as everyone's kind of gathered around the table, Martha starts going off. And she's making all of the preparation. She's doing what she's supposed to do according to the law. She's making dinner. 
She's setting the table. She's making sure the floor is clean. She's making sure she cleans up the clutter that she forgot to clean, you know, the night before, and she's kind of kicking herself for it, so she's throwing that into a closet. And then she's, she's dusting, and she's making sure everyone's comfortable, and she's, you know, turning down the thermostat. They didn't have thermostats, but you get the point. She's turning down the thermostat to make sure the temperature's right. She's just making sure everything is perfect and in order because that is her role. That's her job. That's what the law tells her to do, to host people and to make them feel welcome. And at one point, as she's kind of running around with her head cut off, you know, she, she looks back and she's like, why is all of this taking so long? And she sees her sister Mary, who is supposed to be doing the same thing that she's doing. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him teach, not doing a thing. Being a little bit lazy, Martha thinks. And Martha's not wrong. I want to I give Martha, you know, her due here. Uh, there are kind of two strikes against Mary. She is supposed to be helping Martha. That is the cultural expectation. That is what is she, she is supposed to be doing. And under no circumstances, she's supposed to be sitting at the table, reclining and listening. That's strike one. Strike two is she's a woman, and she shouldn't be listening to Jesus the way that she's listening according to those customs. Uh, cultural customs and values. And so uh, two strikes against her right away. She's taking the place of a man when she shouldn't be, and she's not doing the thing that she's supposed to do as host in the home. And so Martha actually has about every right to be upset here. Mary really shouldn't be leaving Martha to do this. And so Martha goes to Jesus and says to Jesus, Jesus, don't you see? Don't you see how my sister Mary is making me do all of this work by myself. And then she appeals to him and says, you tell her to get up and to come help. And Jesus looks at her and says, Martha, Martha, you're so worried about so many things when really only a few things matter. And indeed, really, only one thing matters. And that's what Mary has chosen. And actually, that can't be taken away from her. Now some of you might feel bad for Martha you know, and, and some of you might be looking at Jesus like, is he really calling this woman out in her own home? And, I, you know, whether or not it's a true story, I don't know. I, I think it's a story meant to illustrate an answer to this question of, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And the answer from Jesus resoundingly is, you got to get your priorities right. You got to focus on the things that matter. Martha, you got to focus on what's true, because there's so many things that you can worry about all of the time. There's so many of these things that you can focus on. There's so many tasks that you can do. There's so many things that you can chase after. What you have to do, if you want to figure out how to inherit eternal life, at least part of it, this isn't the whole answer, part of it is you got to figure out what really matters. What's true? What matters in your life 
above anything else. And Luke wants the readers and the listeners to, <laughs> this poor guy, he just needed baby Jesus. That was the, and actually, that's a great sermon illustration. That is what matters. <laughs> great job, baby Dion. Luke wants the listeners and the readers of the gospel to ask that question and then to supply the answer in the form of another question of, yeah, what does matter? What do I have to do in, to inherit eternal life? Well, I have to focus on the thing that matters. Okay, well, then what does truly matter? And Jesus' answer in part is, well, it's not all of these cultural customs and these rules and these laws that say, Quite literally, women have to stay in the kitchen and do all the preparing, and they're not allowed to do the things that men do. Jesus is saying, no, none of that matters. Throw it out, which he, he's pretty good at throughout the Gospels. And he's, he's also saying, you know, the, the, the things that don't matter are all of the tasks that you think are important to make everything perfect for everyone else. What really matters, Jesus is saying, is what Mary's doing. And you could interpret that as sitting at the feet of Jesus, taking in spiritual nourishment, or it could just be spending time in relationship with other people. You could take it a number of ways, but Jesus is saying part of your priority has to be people over tasks. It has to be relationships over whatever requirements we think we have. It has to be the connection that we get from our friends and our family and our guests and those that are visiting. It has to be that over whatever it is we think needs to be done to make the thing happen. People are more important than whatever the outcomes or the products or, or, or the endings are that we think we need. Focus on that. And so for you that are listening here today, if, you, if you've been asking this question, maybe you haven't, I, I don't know, if you're searching for a way to inherit a kind of eternal life, to find that way toward the life that Jesus wants to offer us, and in John he calls it, you know, he says, I, I've come to give them life and life to the full. If you're looking for a kind of life to the full, you might want to ask the question, what really matters? What really matters? matters. If you want to get all of the joy out of life, what really matters? And so I, I made a list, and it's not a very good list, I want you to know, but it is a, um, it's a list of things that don't matter as much and things that do matter, I, and, and it's just my own. You can, you can disagree with this. So the first thing that, they, and these things kind of matter, but they don't really matter as much, what doesn't matter as much is material possessions, right? Not so much. Maybe a little bit, like you need some, but they're not that important. Social status and popularity. Oh, my gosh, if you would have said this to me when I was like fifth, sixth grade, high school, you know, that really mattered. It doesn't really matter that much, right? Perfectionism. And I'm calling myself out on this one. Like striving to make everything perfect and everything go the way it's supposed to go. Making sure everything is neat and pristine, that it doesn't matter that much. Other people's opinions doesn't matter as much. Achievements. It's good to have goals, but 
Sometimes you can put those goals and those achievements over the people that you're with. Rumors and gossip, that kind of goes along with other people's opinions. These things don't matter as much. And, and you're probably thinking of your own right now that you might like to fill in. Here's some things that do matter. Relationships and love. You know, truly, like, we, all we have is each other. And I'm sure some musician said that or someone else, but, like, really, that's all we got. Um, your personal growth and learning, and along with that, health and well-being, those things matter. Have you heard the phrase, hurt people hurt people? Well, healthy people help make other people healthy. People that are healing heal other people. So if you are investing in yourself, I, I had a, um, a supervisor tell me one time, Garrett, if you are not taking care of yourself, you're not going to be taking care of this church. And I've struggled for a long time to internalize that. But if you aren't taking care of yourself, how can you help other people? And so many other pastors have illustrated this with the, um, the airline example. You know, like the airline attendants will tell you, if the masks drop, put your own mask on because you need oxygen before you can help other people. But your impulse might be to help others. You've got to take care of yourself. That matters. Uh, and along with that, helping others, community service, that matters. Your inner peace and contentment, those things matter. And again, you're, you're probably thinking of all of these other examples of things that matter to you specifically. You know, we as a church also have to think about this as a body, as, as one group, not just as, as individuals. We kind of have to ask the question, what, what really matters? Because we can kind of go the way of Mary or Martha here, right? We can, we can um, get in our mind that tasks are really important and, and making sure committee meetings happen and, and making sure we get all of the business of the church done. We can get in that mode and kind of go into overdrive. Or we can go the other way and say, no, we, we've got to focus on spiritual nourishment. We've got to focus on connection, relationships, discipleship. And we kind of have a path to choose. And in closing, I'll, I'll just tell you one quick anecdote. In the, in the work that Pastor Sarah does as a church consultant, she's invited sometimes to uh, consult with churches that are kind of going through crisis and uh, maybe not doing so well, or, or maybe they're in a transition and they're trying to figure out their way and see, you know, which, which path they're going to take into the future. And um, one of the things that they do is part of their evaluation process, they determine what stage a church is at. And one of, <laughs> I got a sheep wandering in here. <laughs> oh, boy. One of the things that they, they try to figure out is where a church is at kind of developmentally, and they measure this by asking the question, how many people are showing up to worship as compared to how many people are showing up to business meetings? And if your ratio is off, if you have more people showing up to business meetings more regularly and having great attendance there and not focusing so much on worship and the connections and the discipleship part, one of the things this group will tell you, and you tell me if I'm wrong, they'll say it's almost a sure sign that your church is going to close in the near future because the task, the business, has overtaken the relationships and the love and the connection, and so you've already lost your church. It's just a matter of time. And so part of the work that she does is trying to make them aware of those Martha-like tendencies so that we become more aware of how to sit at the feet of Jesus 
and determine what truly matters so we're not focusing on too many things, but on the things that are true. We're all going to have to choose between these yeses and these noes, and I think the invitation from this story is for you to figure that out. What needs your yes this Christmas season so that you can experience the full joy of the life that Jesus has for you? And also, with that, what needs your no so that you can experience that joy that Jesus wants to offer? Let's pray. Good and loving God, thank you for this story, God, and thank you, too, uh, for the time set aside to dwell on it. God, I pray that you would help us all discern what truly matters. Amen.